you know, one of the things that I often read in my my time is this idea that when we realize that our own experiences are not enough or diverse enough to teach us everything we know, we understand the power of connecting to other people and being in masterminds and communities and things like this. I mean, if you think about it, only a fool would learn by experience. And it's a powerful statement, but it's one that's actually on part of my like daily motivations. It's usually for Wednesday because Wednesday is like hump day and I'm like, I'm going to try to do this myself and force through it. But like the idea that only a fool learns by experience is really powerful because if you think about it, if something has already been done before by multiple people, like why wouldn't you take the opportunity to learn from all of those people, like let them break it down for you and tell you the most important components and then you pick and choose what ultimately is is most important for you. Hey, what's good, everybody? Thank you so much for tuning in to episode 47 of Highly Invested, where we invest in ourselves, talk about personal growth, and we ask entrepreneurs and those practicing the financial independence retire early movement about some of the best investments that they've made in themselves that help get them to where they are today. Hey, everybody. Today on the show, we've got a former investment banker and financial professional with experience in all of these areas, from analysis to mergers and acquisitions, REITs, and mortgage planning. But this guest decided to pave his own way in financial education, founding the online education and coaching platform Option Alpha in 2007. Since then, Option Alpha has become an industry-leading education platform for options trading with over 225,000 active readers and traders. So today, We've got Kirk Duplessis on the show to, to learn more about his story and the process. So Kirk, how are you doing today? Good, man. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. Thanks so much for coming on. And how was your long weekend that just passed? Happy 4th of July. It was good. It was good. It was different. It was very low key and, you know, extra time with the family, but I always appreciate that. Good. Yeah. Things aren't, things haven't been too low key uh, lately, but uh, good you got to spend that quality time. Yeah, Absolutely. Most definitely. So can you tell us a bit more about your background, uh, Kirk? Where did you study and what experience have you accumulated over the years as a financial professional? And if you can try and explain it for the layman people, that'll obviously help. Yeah, yeah, I'll try. I'll I'll try to explain it like I tried to explain to my mother-in-law because when I met my wife and she is a teacher and comes from a family of teachers, they're like, you're a teacher, right? And I'm like, uh, actually not. I'm you know, totally the black sheep of the family as far as that goes. But uh, but I think, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I guess you kind of hit it on the on the intro, but I've done a little bit of everything, enough to see everything. And I feel like, or no, enough to see a lot, uh, yeah. not to see everything. But I graduated from the University of Virginia. When I graduated with a finance degree, everybody in my class, everybody in the business school, what you did was you went to Wall Street and you worked for an investment bank or you worked right. for a you know private equity firm or something. And I really didn't know any different at you know at the time. I didn't know any better either. Like and I just assumed, okay, yeah, that sounds good. Like that's the trajectory and track and it sounds great. And so I got a chance to work for Deutsche Bank in M and A and I really enjoyed the people. I enjoyed the process. I enjoyed, you know, the numbers and the deal stuff. I just really didn't enjoy the lifestyle that like that, you know, brought as an analyst. I mean, you're there all day, all night. I mean, right. And sorry, just to, for, for M&A mergers and acquisitions, just a quick rundown for anyone that might not know how that would work, putting companies together for deals kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, I guess you could say that that's the, the, the easy part. I mean, we looked at everything from, you know, how to divest a portion of a business. Could you buy portions of other businesses at that time? What a really popular thing were LBOs, which are leveraged buyouts where companies would acquire a bunch of debt to buy out a company and then pay off the debt over time. So uh, it was very much just how do you potentially put together deals, you know, a million different ways. Uh, so a lot of Excel, a lot of yeah, analysis, cool. And it, and it was cool. It was interesting, um, but just didn't like the lifestyle. I mean, it's just it never where I saw myself ending up. So decided to leave there, jumped over the Chinese wall, which is the the proverbial wall between public and private markets and decided to go into the private or into the public market side and was a REIT analyst for uh, BB&T Capital Markets. Okay. So more of like a regional bank, mid-Atlantic bank. And I did that outside D.C., and that was great. I covered REITs. I really like real estate. My family's been involved in real estate and mortgages for a long time and uh, really enjoyed that process a lot. Had a chance to talk to CEOs and CFOs and understand business models and capital allocation and how I thought about it. Ultimately, what I learned in that process was that 
as great of an analyst as I could have become. And I think that REITs are really easy to analyze, by the way. Like it's not a very complicated business model by any stretch. So the analysis process. In terms of like, if you were to compare, sorry, just to something else, yeah. what would you compare it to? Well, like you take like something like a Tesla, for example, or a Netflix. I mean, it's really hard to understand that business because not only yeah. is the, the business itself very complex, but the projections that you have to make are uber complex. I mean, how do you t- tell anybody where Tesla is going to go in, you know, five years or 10 years? So yeah. REIT's really easy because it's stable cash flows. It's basically like a corporate bond conglomerate. I mean, you know exactly what the company is going to make at what point and what the the bump ups are going to be in rent. And it's very, very easy to project. And what I found in that process was as amazing as you could have been at projecting what looked, what is truly a very simple business on the outside. You know, I'm not trying to oversimplify it, but it's relatively simple to, you know, to value these was wildly different when they actually had earnings and when market participants would, you know, come into play and you thought the company would have a great quarter and they did. And the market would tear tear the stock apart, and and vice versa. And so, you know that that difference between market expectations and you know kind of underlying fundamental value of a company or projected value, I really yeah. learned at that point. So, you know, nine ways to Sunday, I just end up you know kind of leaving those businesses, uh, helped out in mortgages and real estate for a little bit, and started to trade on the side and kind of work my way through that process. I've always liked math. I've always liked numbers. I always understand it. I realized eventually I didn't. I didn't want to do something that wasn't really, really fascinating to me. And so all of those businesses that I was in before, I kind of got enough right. of a taste that I thought it was eh, fascinating enough and I could move on. So started trading, started writing a little blog and you know, just kind of publishing my thoughts on what I was doing and you know where I was, where my head was in the market and you know what I was doing trading wise. And and fast forward to here we are now, you know, option off was yeah. uh, a pretty big thing in the education space. And now we've dovetailed into software as well. So yeah, no, that that's brilliant. That's a great background. And I'm just curious, like, did, did you see more of an opportunity in the online space and with potential, you know, to be your own boss and go that route as opposed to working under someone else and being a bit kind of boxed in? No. So I, I really never had an issue with working under someone else necessarily. I think it was more of a lifestyle thing. You know, like my wife and I got together and, you know, I remember her saying like, look, if you're going to be in New York and you're going to be working up there all day, every day. Oh, that's true. Probably 80 hour week, something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 80 to hundred hour weeks. She's like, that's not the life I want. And I thought to myself, you know, that's not the life I want either. Right. Yeah. So I don't think it was that. I never had any intentions truly when I started this whole process of option alpha becoming what it was today or, or us doing what we do now. Right. And I still feel like it's a very uh, self-serving, you know, mission that we're on where, you know, I'm trying to help myself and the other people around me and learn and develop research and tools to help myself as a trader and help bring along people who want to do the same thing. So, you know, we never really actually started to take it truly serious as a business until about like five or six years ago. I mean, it, it was very much a, a hobby thing on the side that I just continued to do and help out and no, that's impressive though, because a lot of things do ne- do seem to start out that way. People just want to do it because they're like, yeah, I need something to do. And this helps me, whether it's like process your thoughts by writing what you're thinking, and then you're getting better at trading day by day. And, and now you've got this amazing free platform for, for educating people on options. Yeah, it's a really cool process. And I tell people who join our company and you know who join Option Alpha, it, it's a really, to me, it's a crowdsourced intelligence way to build a business. And, and what I mean by that is that yeah. what you will never see on Option Alpha is you'll never see ads, right? Like I always hated that on other websites. And still to this day, like you go to a site and it's like, oh my God, you got to like comb through all the ads. So you'll never see ads. You'll never see any of the promotion stuff. We don't do affiliate stuff. I mean, we just run a really clean business. And the idea is that when you know people support us, we basically take as much of that money as humanly possible and plow it back into developing other tools that people can use and other research and, you know, kind of expanding the reach and the footprint and understanding different things. And that helps me as a trader that helps everyone else as a trader. So uh, it's very much a collaborative effort that I think works really, really well. And, and hopefully is because it's a reason why we've been so successful. Yeah, it definitely works. And and there's that need for people to self-educate too. Skills are becoming more important and trading is pretty much one of them now. So yeah, I would agree. Yeah. And so I'm just curious with, with like COVID and, and everything that's happened, have you seen a, a big influx of, of traffic to your site and, and new memberships? Yeah, I would say that we've generally seen a, a bit of an uptick. It's definitely scaled back yeah. after some of the reopenings, but I, I think that it, it was a natural, we just happened to be at the right place at the right time in the sense that markets were crashing yeah. and people were also staying at home. So two things that would ultimately require people to be a lot more interested in markets and and why their index investments, you know, lost 35, 40% in four weeks. 
and looking for alternatives, you know, to protect or hedge. And they also have more time on their hands because they don't have to go to work anyway. So we've definitely seen a big uptick at the start of that. And it's definitely tailed off where people are are less enthusiastic because we've had a rally. But I think the general enthusiasm overall for options trading and yeah. derivative type investing is is here to stay. And and I think that, you know, we're coming into a new paradigm of of investing where we're necessarily, you know, the long-term passive buy and hold um, while fine is is going to be challenged by more active traders. Interesting. Yeah. Well, because I'm kind of tiptoeing both sides of that and figuring out which route I want to go. So <laughs> I'll ask about that going forward. Um, sure. Yeah. That, no, that's cool. And I guess with, with people having time and wanting to figure out ways to make money, those buzzwords of, buzzwords of education and free were a good way to get them landed on your site. Yeah, I mean, we don't we don't do any advertising, so it's all very much organic and you know, search and uh, you know, word of mouth. So um, yeah, we had a lot of people who were looking up, you know, how to hedge or how to protect yourself in a crash, and yeah. um, and I think that's where a lot of people came in. Yeah, that's the best type of traffic, honestly. That organic search and and word of mouth. Now, just just for yourself personally, did did COVID affect your morning routine as a trader, or I should say, daily routine as a trader? No, I mean, because, you know, the only thing that I would say that really impacted it was my oldest daughter uh, started kindergarten last year. And so unfortunately, she didn't have a chance actually to finish kindergarten. Um, and she oh. was really depressed about that and, and very bummed. But we have two other kids at home. And so and my wife is at home. And so I work out of the house. So I mean, it, for us, it was very much a standard operating procedure. Just we just had one extra kid. Yeah, yeah and we just had one extra kid. And look, I'm very much blessed that my wife is a former teacher and has that background. So she was able to pick up help out with the kids. And I did a couple lessons as well during the week with the kids and kind of uh, got them on their feet. But but I think you just have to adapt to it. Yeah, you do. And I mean, depending on how you were beforehand, it, it makes the adapt adaptation a bit easier. But no, that's good. And just curious of yourself as a trader, do you have any sort of routine that you have set going into the day? Or like, do you mind just telling us a bit about your process going into the market opening? Yeah. I mean, my process is not, not that complicated, nor, nor is it that time consuming. Yeah. And I tell people that openly because what I want people to realize is if I didn't have something else to do, I would mess with my trades way more than I should. Right. Yeah. So to me, option alpha is very much a double-edged sword in the sense that I love doing it. I love the challenge of running a business, the challenge of building a company and hiring people and figuring all that stuff out and building software tools just as much as I need option alpha to be there to hold me accountable to not deviating from what I know should be my plan. And so my daily process for, you know, making trades or entering trades is pretty regimented. I'm up pretty early, pretty much every single day, five, five 30 in the morning, go through my morning routine. And then it's a quick scan of news headlines. I don't read news, don't watch news. The headlines is enough for me to get a sense of, you know, what's going on. Like, did I miss a nuclear holocaust that happened? Like, right. you know, I just want to be aware of what's going on. And then after that, it's really nothing until the market's open. Market's open, maybe uh, 30 minutes, 45 minutes after the market's open, get in, make some trades, monitor positions, shut it down for the afternoon, come back in in the afternoon, you know, on a typical day, some days it might be different, but typical afternoon is come back in, you know, 45 minutes to an hour before the market closes. Again, readjust, look at positions. Most of the time it's do nothing or do one or two small trades. And then otherwise it's out. I mean, it's very much, you know what you're looking for. You go in, you shop, you take it, you know, you hunt for your position, you find it, you leave, right? Yeah, yeah. It's more like mitigating risk too than trying to hit home runs every day, I would imagine. Well, well. I think that's more of a strategy thing, strategy technique of going for singles versus home runs. What I'm talking about is I feel like a lot of people that start off trading, they think that if they go into the markets and just watch, like that something's going to jump out at them. And the analogy I use is that, you know, if you were to go shopping in the mall, you're going to find something if you just walk into the mall and you go, I'm going to shop around for an hour. Like you're going to find something that you want to buy. Now you maybe don't need that. It's so true. You're looking to spend money in a way though, like subconsciously. You're looking to spend money and you don't need that thing. To me, when I go into the markets and I consider it like going into a store, like I'm walking into the markets when I open up, you know, my trading platform. Yeah. I have a very specific thing that I'm looking for. I'm looking for this, that, and you know, X, Y, Z. And if I don't find it, then I leave, right? And you just you you go yeah. away because you get sucked into the movement and the opportunities or lost opportunities. And I think that could be damaging. It definitely can be. It's more you're more likely to find a distraction and that's just gonna throw you off the course that you've been probably trying so hard to stick to. So Sure. 
Yeah. Well, before we just jump more into options, do you mind just sharing? You mentioned you have a bit of a morning routine. That seems to be a thing that high performers proactively make sure that they set time for. Do you mind sharing a little bit about what you do in the mornings? Yeah. Yeah. It's been a constant process for me, to be totally honest. It hasn't been something that is always it's not, not nothing that's perfect for me, but it's it's something that I've really developed over the last two and a half years or so. I've developed a pretty good morning routine. You know, I get up, I really don't check any email or anything like that. There's no social media involved. For me, it's uh, affirmations that we have or assertions, however you want to call them. Yeah. And then I have a, a list of just like daily motivations. And, and I go through a list of motivations by day. So there might be 12 different motivation readings that I'll read on Monday and 10 on Wednesday and five on Thursday. But I like to do it that way because there's a lot of great information. And what I found is that I couldn't read them all in one day and it was overkill. And so now it takes me, you know, 15, 20 minutes and I read kind of like the best passages and readings that I've collected over the years from reading books and, you know, doing audio books and things. And I kind of go through those on a daily basis and I rotate those every seven days. Uh, and I just go through the same ones. And so that to me is is a really big part of my process. I try to meditate every morning for a little bit, getting a lot better at it. I'm definitely not perfect at it, but it really helps with- Good, yeah. It comes with time. Yeah, mindfulness yeah. and embracing a little bit of calm. And uh, definitely with markets, you need a little bit of calm and a little bit of mindfulness. And then to me, it's really kind of reviewing you know, my values and, and my goals and where I'm at. And, and that to me is a, yeah. a big thing because- I continued to, for a long time, I would have them and I really wouldn't do anything with them, right? Like I would be like, oh, these are my goals and they're kind of written down there in this dark place. But now, you know, like one of my things right now is like, I'm very protective of my time. Like that's one of my principal values right now is this idea that anything on my calendar is on my calendar and is my fault for allowing it to be there. So if something is on my calendar, it means I truly want to do it. Like this interview here is something that I truly want to do. Therefore, I allow it to be on my calendar. But anything else that I allow to be on my calendar shouldn't be there if I don't truly want to do it or don't feel like there's enough value that I'm going to add to it. So I think it's things like that, you know, pausing for gratitude, no judgment, embracing calm, growth mindset, quantum decisions. Like those are my personal principles and values. And I think refreshing those every day has been very helpful for me. Yeah, it's so good to reinforce those intentions and remind yourself why you're doing what you do. And yeah, thanks so much for coming on again as well. It's pleasure, man. So now just for any listeners, if you can give a brief layman definition of of what options are and how they work as a zero sum game. Yeah. Well, I think the first thing is it's not a zero sum game. So no, it's not. I think I guess that's probably from some of the literature that I've I've read. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, it it depends on how you think about it, right? It's a zero sum game in the sense that somebody has to be a buyer and somebody has to be a seller. And I get that. But the way that I think about options contracts or the way that it's most easily described is to use the analogy of an insurance contract. And this is how I describe options as not necessarily a zero-sum game because you don't know the outcome of the other person. And so in an insurance contract, if you buy insurance for your car and you don't wreck your car, are you mad that your insurance contract didn't pay off? No, like you're really happy that you didn't wreck your car and get no car accident. But God forbid you did wreck your car. Now that insurance premium that you paid gave you a new car, right? So at that point, you're happy that you got a new car. And so it doesn't necessarily have to be this thing where one side always wins and the other side always loses. Insurance is a really good example of this where both sides, you know, can be just even and one side could be ahead monetarily, but both sides win, right? Uh, Yeah. And I think that's the way I look at it. So option contracts are, they're hard to explain in just like a minute or two, but the idea with an option contract is that it's a leveraged product that sits on top of equities or securities. That's why we always refer to the equities or securities as the underlying contract. So Right. So like a side bet on a, on a stock or company, right? Yeah. Basically it derives its value from the underlying security. And so the option contract sits on top of the underlying, of the underlying security or the equity position. And the option contracts just have a little bit more features than simply buy and hold. So things like an expiration price and a strike price and volatility and time decay. So it's a little bit more than just simple price movements in the underlying. But the idea with an option contract is truly to give yourself more options. I mean, as cliche as it sounds, that's the way it is, is truly to give yourself more options and to build and construct different payoff possibilities, really. So when I always try to explain options with people, I say, you know, stock has two outcomes. There really is two outcomes with stock. Right. You either buy stock and it goes up 
or you short sell stock, which most people don't know you still can do, you short sell stock and it goes down and you cover the position and take a profit. There's really no other alternative. Now, time is pretty much irrelevant. It can happen fast. It can happen long. It doesn't really matter. There's no decay in the value of the shares. I mean, a share today is a share tomorrow, right? But with option contracts, you now start to introduce things like expiration dates, which means that the contract is only valid for a certain period of time. You start to introduce things like strike prices, which means that it's only valid not only for a certain period of time, but at a certain price point. And so these other factors start to to come into play. Not that they're necessarily complex enough that you couldn't understand them, but it just adds a dimension that requires a little bit more education and a little bit more patience. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. I've been studying for the Canadian securities course, which is more of just the underlying understanding of the financial system in Canada. And that's kind of when I was first introduced to to, to puts. And um, I don't know why I can't think of the, the first word. Um, calls. Yeah, sorry. Calls and puts. So calls are for the long, puts are for short. But um, yeah, but like it, it took me maybe reading the textbook a third and fourth time preparing for the exam to really actually register, okay, how they can become applicable. Yeah. Well, I think the cool thing about option contracts is that, it, well, it's cool because to me, if you use it properly, like like all leverage, you know, leverage properly applied is really beneficial, right? But yes. leverage improperly applied is detrimental. And so option contracts are, for the most part, standardized in that one option contract controls 100 shares of stock. And what's cool about that is that you don't have to outlay all the capital that's required to trade 100 shares of stock, you can basically control 100 shares of stock with a single option contract for a fraction of the price. Now, again, like medicine, like a little bit of medicine can help you, a lot can kill you. Option contracts are leveraged. A little bit of option contract trading and leverage can help, a lot can kill you, right? So so I think people- Right, just increases the risk too, right? If you're doing just too much without- Yeah, and I think you know a lot of people don't fall into that trap initially until something bad happens right. and Murphy's law becomes applicable and um, and eventually it will, right? So uh, I think recently, right. you know, Nokia was a great example of this. Also, why I don't trade single stock options. I, you know, really focus on ETFs, but right. uh, Nokia basically like crashed and there was no shares. People got assigned. There was no shares to short. It was like impossible to borrow. It was NTB, which is none to borrow. Like there was nothing available. Right. And people got slaughtered, right? And so you have these very small accounts that are seemingly trading these very small option contracts, not understanding the leverage that is associated with those contracts. So I don't want to like, I, I hate when I come on to shows and stuff like this and I sound like, oh, options are terrible and they're so scary and whatever. They're really not. They're very controlled. No, they're just complex systems, right? Yeah. Yeah. To me, it's actually more scary to trade stock, totally honest, you know, than to trade an right. option, you know, contract and spread if you understand it correctly. And, um, yeah. but I think that people, overlook very easily all of the nomenclature and terminology and they say, oh, it's too complicated to understand. Therefore, I won't do it. And well, I think with investing too, it's, you know, it's possible to, to buy a few shares in a company and, and just hold them. And, and over time, you'll be, have, develop a bit more of an understanding. But I don't think you want to do that with options, right? You probably want to have the guidance before you get in or the education, like you'd say. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think that you can, I mean, look, I definitely am a subscriber to the idea that you should have education before you get into it. I mean, this is, yeah, yeah. this is the genesis of why our mission and, you know, one of the causes that we support at Option Alpha is, is this open education forum where people can come in and learn for free and they don't pay us a dime ever. And there's no strings attached. You can use and abuse us and go on your way because I believe in education that much. I think that when you start looking at option contracts, even compared to a small number of shares that you could trade, the benefits that option contracts give you as far as control and defined risk and you know high probabilities of success, I think still outweigh the dabbling that most people do with a few shares. Because sure. the problem with a lot of people is they when they dabble with a few shares and they try to get their feet wet, they still are taking the same general risk to reward position. It's just that the numbers seem smaller, right? So they feel yeah. more more obligated to bet, you know, bet on those types of, and gamble on those types of situations. Um, so I, I don't think that it's yeah. just that simple. No, it's good. Yeah. And I mean, like you say, you have options, whether you just want to pay the premium just for the chance, which is probably a lot less than the shares might cost, or if you own the shares and you write a put as, as a hedge, there's just many ways that you can play them too. Yeah. yeah, and I think spreads for newbie traders are, I mean, like I trade a lot of spreads and and I think that spreads are 
one of the best things that people can do because it is truly defined risk, right? And so right. Uh, it, it gives you a really good opportunity to look at positions more objectively and say, how much could I make? How much am I risking? What's the likelihood of success? Right. And start asking some of those higher level questions versus do I like the company? Because I, even if you like the company, yeah. even if you like the shares, that doesn't mean that the market's going to agree with you, right? Like that's what I learned, you know, as a read analyst is that you could love yeah, the monkey you, or love, love the monkey. You could love <laughs> the market. You could love the company. You could love what they're doing and you know, everything, but that doesn't mean the market's going to agree now or for a long time. Right. And that's yeah. that opportunity cost is, is huge. Yeah, no, it's so true. Like you say, it, most of the time it doesn't match the underlying assets whatsoever. But um, just on that spread point. So when you say spread is just, do you mind clarifying even for myself? Yeah. So let's say you have a stock that's trading at $100 a share and you could easily buy a 100, just a share for $100, right? right? And so a lot of people look at that and say, well, it's just a share. I'm into it for a hundred bucks, but truly your risk is completely to the downside, the entire hundred dollars, right? Like if the stock goes to zero, you've lost your entire hundred dollars. Now, right. is that likely to happen? Maybe not, but it's a possibility. I mean, just today, I think another company, just what Brooks Brothers or something just announced that they're bankrupt after 202 years of business. Oh, I mean, it's, it's possible, right? It is. Yeah. So, so with a spread though, and particularly an option spread, you could execute something in this case, we'll just use one example, but you could do what's called a bull put spread, which means you're generally bullish to neutral on the company. So you could still take the same view that you think the company is going to go up in value, but you have a little bit of wiggle room that if you're wrong and the company either trades sideways or actually potentially goes lower, you could still maybe make some money on a position. And so with a bull put spread, you would sell, for example, the 90 strike put and buy the 90 and buy, say, the 89 strike put. And so that spread is only a dollar wide, controls the same $100 of potential risk before all the premium and stuff like that. But now, because you sold the 90 strike put and you bought the 89 strike put, if the company goes down in value from 100 to 91 or even to 90, mm. you still have an opportunity to make money on that position. And so that to me, for the same capital that you could allocate, the $100 that you could put into the market and just how can we allocate that capital as efficiently as possible? That to me is a much better use of capital than just even buying a single share and saying, I hope it goes up, right? 50, yeah. 50 shots. Thanks for explaining that. That's a great point. And like, is this part, you just mentioned earlier, before we get to the main questions, like the new paradigm of investing, like, do you mind elaborating a bit on that? Because I'm someone that's been self-taught, but coming, like realizing that I might be te like learning a lot of the old investment vehicles and assets to use where options are kind of evolving before our eyes as well. So do you mind just elaborating on where you think investing is going to be heading? Well, I, I think that there's two things and, and that's a really good question. So the two things are, is I think that a lot of the old mechanics are that are timeless are always going to stick around. And unfortunately, people forget those in many markets. So things like diversification, having uncorrelated asset classes, yeah. right? Having a manageable duration, extra cash, cushion for margin expansion. I mean, all of these timeless things that we know to be true are always going to be true, no matter what asset class you use. So to use options versus stocks doesn't mean that you can break all those rules. You still have to follow the timeless investing principles. Yeah. But what options I think allow people to understand, and, and the more that they are used in education, the more widely education's out there, the cheaper it becomes to access the market as we start to see commissions really start to fall like we did last year, right? Yeah, so, they're pretty much gone in the States. Yeah. So the barrier to entry is going to continue to move towards zero. It's mostly at zero now, but it's going to continue to gravitate towards zero. That means that now it's a viable option for people to use as an alternative. And the way that I see option contracts working uh, and why I think it's a new paradigm is because it allows people to be in much more control of their financial positions with absolute defined risk if they choose, absolute defined profit if they choose. And it allows them the flexibility to not have to make these massive subjective decisions that they hope will play out in mostly a 50-50 market. And I think that that's, that's the really cool part. Right. The other thing that I think is fascinating about the options market in general is that we've seen recently, and we were talking about this last year, I mean, till I was blue in the face, this idea that we were going to have black swan events, that black swan events are more of a fact of life than we have come to realize. 
And we were so fortunate that we didn't have one for 10 years. Yeah. But they actually happen way more often than what if they've happened previously, right? And so we went through a real long lull period where I think a lot of people are complacent in this idea that we don't get these things that often. They're economic shots. They're here and they're gone, but they're not. And so I think options or having options, even tied to just a regular equity index stock portfolio, is a great way to protect against some of these market systemic events like the pandemic, which we will have more of, and there will be other shocks and it will be triggered by other things. It will come and it will continue to wreak havoc on people's portfolios. So I think understanding that is is why yeah. we're in this new paradigm. It's so interesting that you say that because I just finished a book called Chaos, which is about complexity theory. And I'm reading one right now. It's Jim Rickards. I know he's a bit of a Wall Street uh, black sheep, but The Road to Ruin, just mm -hmm. on his perspective, though, on what happened leading up to 2008. And he talks exactly about this. Yeah. Another good one is uh, The Misbehaviors of Markets. Um, and we actually uh, interviewed the co-author because the main author actually died a couple of years ago. But the, the co-author, uh, Richard Hudson, was on our podcast. But it's just the idea that just a lot of the pricing models that that go into options and stocks and, and even like the bank stress tests and things like that, they don't actually account for the true risk that's inherent in what we just see historically. Like Right. The unpredictability of it all. Yeah. Yeah. And so it, it's really funny. And and you read some of this stuff and you're you actually and, and I still do to this day. I, you know, I reread this and I'm like, how can people get this so wrong? Like it's so clear. It's so obvious. And you know, take for example what happened, anybody listening to this podcast right now went through the COVID crash, the the market crash. That crash, as fast as it was and as big as it was, statistically, based on every model that's out there, should have never happened. Like never yeah. in the time period between now and the dinosaurs, like historically. It like it is so much of an anomaly that it never should have happened, but it did. And so the fact that it did means that all those models are empirically broken and, you know, but there's no other better alternative right now. We, do, we haven't found the better alternative that can accurately predict those. So right. unfortunately, we just have to be uber cautious about controlling risk. Yeah, no, it's true. And you know, I, I, I like that point that you mentioned on just rereading things too, even in your morning routines, because think of how many people would think if you asked them to read a book a second time, they'd be like, why on earth would I do that? Oh, but I love it. The, yeah, the amount of knowledge you actually pick up and absorb the second time around trumps the first time. Like, yeah, of course. I mean, that's yeah. why. I mean, look, that's why as kids in school, like, we're not taught addition once, right? We're, we're taught addition all the time, right? It's it's a, a foundational element of learning. Yeah, it's, it's super important. But yeah, no, it, it's true. It's it's super interesting just to see this uh, this evolution in in the financial industry. And I mean, obviously, helps having the background in it that you do. So thanks so much for sharing your perspective and knowledge on that. So Kirk, or the big question I like to ask my guests, if you can think about the three biggest investments that you've made in yourself over time that helped get you to where you are today, what would those be? Uh, first, my wife. Okay. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> my wife. Is, no, it's a, I tell people like having a great wife is like, man, it's a life hack like like none other. And uh, we're coming up on 10 years of marriage, which is amazing uh, in two weeks. And um, I love hearing and, and, that though, man. That's awesome. Good for you. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not, and it's not a money thing. It's a time thing. Like I invest my time in her, she invests her time in me and it's, you know, been very fruitful for both of us. And we've developed an amazing relationship and continue to grow. So, you know, I think not monetarily wise, but time wise, like that's been one of my, you know, obviously like that and my kids, you know, have been amazing. Yeah. yeah. Um, other things I think that have really, really helped out, I'm a very much a big believer and you know one of the things that I often read in my my time is this idea that when we realize that our own experiences are not enough or diverse enough to teach us everything we know we understand the power of connecting to other people and being in masterminds and communities yeah. and things like this I mean if you think about it only a fool would learn by experience and it's a powerful statement but it's one that's actually on part of my like daily motivations, it's usually for Wednesday because Wednesday is like hump day and I'm like, oh, God, I want to try to do this myself and force through it. But like the idea that only a fool learns by experience is really powerful because if you think about it, if something has already been done before by multiple people, like why wouldn't you take the opportunity to learn from all of those people, like let them break it down for you and tell you the most important components. And then you pick and choose what ultimately is is most important for you. And so where I'm coming around to this is, you know, yeah. I've spent in my lifetime a lot of money on masterminds, on coaching. Like I have a personal coach myself 
that just helps me with mindset and team right. and family and work and life. I've spent thousands of dollars on being in mastermind sessions with other, you know, traders and investors and business owners. That to me has been money that has been more than well spent. Whereas most people would probably look at those and go, I can't believe you spend money on that, right? They would rather spend it on something else. Right. So I think masterminds are really important. And then I would say like books. I mean, I, I spend a lot of money on books. I think I spend an ungodly amount on Audible <laughs> Good. and reading, reading Audible you books. Can, yeah, do while you're walking or on the go, driving, things like that. Yeah. Uh, two of my new favorite ones right now are Story Shots and Headway are two other apps that I use that they do like little story shots of books or little summaries of books. And so, so I really enjoy doing those. But that to me is truly a lot of a lot of education. So yeah, I mean, people, networks, masterminds, coaching, the ROI on that is insane. No, it definitely is. And no, that's a great point. Like just reaching out to ask questions, it saves so much time. And if you have the money to pay for, like you say, that mastermind or to sit down with someone that's done it, it it's going to cost, but it's going to save you so much of that time you'd waste trying to experience it all. Yeah. And, and as a person who tried to build our website I tried to build Option Alpha myself, you know, years ago, and I have no coding experience, no developing experience, and it was a it was a nightmare. And then you get somebody who's really good at it, and you pay them what they're worth because we're worth, you know, the value that we bring. Yeah. And you pay somebody what they're worth, and they create this amazing thing. And you realize finally that oh yeah, like I shouldn't do things that I'm not really really well qualified to do. Yeah. No, that's a good point. And uh, no, you definitely have a, the right head on your shoulders, at least to be a leader in running some education brand, it seems like. Hopefully. Learning a lot from you already. So thank you, Kirk. Appreciate it. <laughs> no problem. Um, so do you mind taking us through a little bit of a shortened timeline of how Option Alpha came to be? Um, obviously, it's been a long time. And but like you said, you, you didn't really start it with the purpose of building it. But then when did you realize that, that it had that potential? And how, how was that process getting it to where it is now? Yeah. And like I said, I think it was about, and, and I know it was about six years ago now, um, almost yeah. seven years ago, because it coincided with the birth of my first daughter, who's six. And um, when she came, I really had to make a decision, you know, did I want this to be something? Did I not want this to be something? And and I think for whatever reason, her birth kind of lit a fire under me to to make a decision one way or another. You know, I ultimately saw, and I still see that the industry is is riddled with a lot of companies that are coming into the business with truly the mindset, you know, how do we get as many eyeballs as possible to generate as much ad revenue or as much affiliate revenue as possible? And I don't knock that business. I don't think that that's a immoral business. I don't, you know, say they're, they're doing something wrong. I just don't. Yeah. But it seems like it's kind of the old school way of, of a business, right? Where. Yeah. I just, you know, I think there's a, a better way to run a business these yeah. days. I mean, look, I, I'm in the the startup community very much, you know, through Option Alpha and FinTech and things like that. And I very much see Option Alpha as more of a glacier type business is the analogy I always use all the time is, you know, we're pretty, pretty massive, you know, force right now. And we don't move incredibly fast. Yeah. And nor do I want us to move fast. I want us to move slow, right? I want us to move deliberately and to take meaningful steps every single day. And I feel like that type of business has much more longevity than a lot of these unicorns that, you know, supposed unicorns that come out of the gate, raise a bunch of money, you know, try to gain a bunch of market share and they blow past their com customers and they don't even understand them before they start delivering products. So the progression of option alpha to yeah. me has still been, and I think we've been in this phase the entire time where we're trying to understand what people don't know. And I think that that takes a lot of time to understand what people don't know yeah. and how we can help serve them best on the education side. And along the way, what we've learned is we've also learned what needs they have when it comes to software and data and research. And so what Option Alpha started as was mostly education to facilitate that gap in, in the industry for you know learning and education and have a free resource, but is very much transitioned over to more of a technology and software data enterprise that helps people use data and software to make better decisions, right? Um, so kind of teaching them what options are and how they work right, and then yeah. giving them the tools in place to, you know, use data to make better decisions, which I think people can. And so we've eventually transitioned into building software tools like our back tester, yeah. our watch list software, our trade optimization software. We're coming out with later this year in the next couple of months, uh, an auto trading platform, which is going to be an industry first that we're launching and we have TD Ameritrade as, as our partner in that and has 
uh, supported us in that and and is co-launching that with us and and is being the broker on the back end. Awesome. Yeah, they seem to be one of the top ones in the US at least. Yeah. Yeah, and I think they've been really good about, you know, kind of generally supporting, you know, the industry and supporting the advancement. And um and so what we're trying to do is, you know, give people the ability to start with no code, you know, building out these automated strategies that are based on sound research and data and, you know, risk metrics that they want to use in their strategies. Ultimately, what we're trying to do is we're trying to help people remove a lot of the subjective emotional side of trading, which we all know is the most dangerous. That causes the most errors, not just in trading, but just in life, really. Yeah, truly. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely does. And so how big is your team at Option Alpha grown to now? Yeah, so we're at 25 people right now. Um, We just hired two new people last week and we still have some openings right now. So we are growing at a pretty decent clip. And I would imagine that once we get uh, the next couple months under our belt and we actually launch, I would, I would imagine that our team is going to grow substantially. And, um, so yeah, it's been quite a process, quite a run. And I like the whole process. Uh, I love everyone who's here and, you know, we've got the right people in the right seats and everyone's super motivated. So it's been a fun journey. Yeah. Well, having a good team is super important to build around as well. And that's amazing, man. I'm, I can't wait to actually just dive into some of the material on your site and I'm going to not wait any longer and probably get to that this weekend. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, no, I will. And I'll let you know. So I'm just curious as well, because I mean, obviously you probably didn't have the idea of creating software in mind when you first started this out too. Like, was there a certain moment where you realized that, because I think, well, I, I'm kind of, this is a question that's just kind of popped into my head, but sure, like the data and that that's obviously big business now that didn't exist almost 30 years ago. But so what, what kind of helped you segue from education into, into building those proprietary softwares that obviously are just an advantage to have? Yeah. Yeah. It was very much a, a self-fulfilling need along with a need that I saw in our community. I mean, yeah. our first tool was the backtesting tool. Our first major tool was a backtesting engine. And the reason that I wanted a backtesting engine was because one, the data was incredibly, you know, expensive to buy, right? So it, yeah. it cost, I mean, multiple six figures just to buy the data from exchanges and data sources. So if somebody wanted to go test a bunch of strategies, I mean, it would easily cost because it cost us multiple right. six figures just to buy the data, let alone build a piece of software that would test it. And so our thought was like, look, if we can, you know, build a piece of software, spend the investment, and then try to recoup some of that investment by offering it at a ridiculous price to all of our members such that they couldn't do it themselves. Could we build that tool basically for net zero cost, right? And have it as another resource for the community and then use that to stair step into other tools. But for me, it was very much a need that I saw where I didn't see anything that had the ability to take a strategy and say, okay, if you were to trade this strategy, consecutively for 25 years with all of these advanced parameters and settings, what would you have you know, potentially made? And to me as a data guy, like as a finance guy, I want to see the numbers of something. Yeah. Not that backtesting is the end all be all because it obviously has its drawbacks and you know its downsides. But as far as like a guidepost of saying, yeah, you're on the right track or no, you're completely off, it gives you great clarity. And so to me, I wanted to be able to take a strategy and say, okay, if I would have done this, like what generally would I have seen? And so that was the first thing. Now we've kind of spun off. And for the last four years, we've basically been developing our auto trading technology because now I know what I need to do and generally what the parameters are. But now my biggest hurdle is the mouse that sits next to my desk that I have to click every single day to make a trade, right? And to yeah. me, it very much right. feels like we are in the old west of like online bill pay. I mean, do you remember? I, you may not, but like there used to be a, take, I might there not used to be a time that. where I used to have to write all of my checks manually, right? Like all of my bills were checks that I had to pay. And now bill pay comes along and everything's automated, right? And you know what all the bills are and they're all automated. They're dynamic. If the bill is $30, it gets paid. If it's $29, it gets paid. But unfortunately, that simple like thought process is not applied to the options market yet. And it's always yeah. like confused me. And it's it's just totally bewildering to me that the options market does have any tool for the retail trader. It's obviously there for institutions, but not for the retail trader to be able to make these yeah. pre-programmed decisions with no code and say, yes, 
every Thursday, sell a credit spread. And if it's profitable, take it off. And if it's not, do this. Like it just makes a lot of sense to be able to do that. Right. Unfortunately, the technology wasn't there. So we built it and it took, you know, four years plus to do it. But uh, but now we have it and it works and it's great. So yeah, so it's, it's been very much a need driven thing that we see in the community where, you know, like I see a need and I hear other people saying, yeah, that'd be awesome. Like you should definitely build that. Uh, and then we start funding those projects. Well, that's just amazing how community focused you are, because like you even mentioned, just the kind of the, the bit of the culture that was allowed to grow with 10 years, the anomaly of nothing bad happening was like, you know, VCs just started throwing money at people in all directions. And it's just great that you went that approach from the get go, because I think clearly that is the more sensible way to run a business when you're focused on your students and the clients. So. Yeah. I don't know how a lot of, well, I can tell you, I mean, like, this is why a lot of them are failing because they move so fast that they forget like what, like they forget they the market. They're the hurting. Not, not why they're started, but they, yeah. they run the way I see it. And so I could be totally wrong, but they yeah, run no, under the okay. assumption. Sure. Yeah. yeah. They run under the assumption that, you know, you get a lot of money and you get the network effect, which I understand the network effect of, you know, you get so big and you become so ingrained that you're valuable. Okay, great. But in that process of making an assumption and just running as fast as possible to spread the word, you miss very important like elements, right? Yeah. Like we do a survey, like a deep dive survey of our audience all the time where we ask them like, what are your biggest challenges? What are your struggles? Like, you know, I send e like I'm still personally involved in emails, right? We have 225,000 people. Like I still personally am involved in emails saying, okay, what's your challenge? What's your issue? What's your, what? in that process, you learn so much to not only understand, you know, how you can help people with a better tutorial, a better course, but you also learn like, what are the pain points that they're having that maybe you are also having and how can you build a technology piece, a software tool around that to solve that problem, right? Yeah. And you miss that if you go too fast, in my opinion. No, it, it, that's a great point too. And I mean, sometimes I just speak in absolutes, but I just, I see what you're saying. And just, to, I just, I agree with that as a, as a business as well. And I'm trying to kind of build up my own coaching business and same idea though. It's, it, I, as much as I want it to be successful quickly, I know that it won't. So it's more about giving free sessions with clients and then trying to pick up on what they actually need most and helping formulate, yeah, the better foundation there. So, yeah. But uh, before we go, I guess um, I don't want to take up too much of your time, but do you mind just letting uh, a bit of a walkthrough on like, what are some of the core structures for any new learners on the site? And what would you recommend? Uh, is there just a starting point for people to like options 101 once they get in there and go from there? Yeah. So this is actually, it's funny you mentioned this because a while back we did not have this structure where, where we have the courses and the tracks laid out the way they are. But this came because we did a deep dive survey and, and asked people, you know, how do you learn best? And like, yeah. what would you like to see? And two things really kind of floated to the top. One, people wanted just a guided path. And so you can actually see we use the same words that people used in our survey where they want to literally be taken by the hand. And so we have three tracks inside option alpha that are totally free and they're guided paths. They literally take you from the very beginning where you walk in the door and you say, okay, Kirk, I know nothing about options. Give me another hand and, you know, take me down this journey. Yeah. And so you can go through track one, two, three, which is beginner, intermediate, advanced, and should give you everything you need. And you can go from there and leave and, you know, kiss us goodbye and we'll be friends. And then we have courses, which are deep dives. So we also found out in our survey that People want to learn about something and they want to take it in a silo and say, okay, I have trouble with adjustments. So teach me everything there is to know about adjustments. And so we do that. So some of our courses that we have in our you know, tutorial modules are deep dive focus where they take one topic and we drill down super, super deep. Now you may not need that, right? Like some people might come in and they take all the tracks and then they yeah. leave. Some people might come in and then they fill in the gaps in their education, you know, with these deep dive tracks, uh, but take like adjustments, for example, like how to adjust a position. Uh, we have got an entire module that says, you know, how do you adjust this strategy? How do you adjust that strategy and that strategy and that strategy? And just right back to back to back so that you get a lot of repetition on adjustments a lot of different ways. So that's the way we're laid out. It works out pretty well. We have a podcast, we have videos, we have written q and I mean, we try to hit every possible way in which people learn. I give total credit to my wife, who's a teacher and a linguist. So when I came here and I was like, how do I do this? Because I'm not an educator. I have no idea how to set this up. Yeah. And uh, her best advice to me was, look, a lot of people don't learn the same way that you do. You know, some people are visual, some people are, you know, audio, some people are written. And so we try to do all of it. So you'll see a lot of the same 
repetitive content on Option Alpha, but it's in different mediums, podcast, right. webinar, course, video, transcript, Q&A, right? And we try to hit all these different disciplines. Yeah. Well, like you said, though, it reinforces the the kind of the, the foundations, though. But no, I'm like, I'm just looking on your site and it's so clean and concise. You've got the options, basics, entries and exit, expiration, bullish strategies, neutral, bearish. It's like, I just, I can't wait to get started. So any listeners go to optionalpha.com and uh, you probably won't want to leave the site. You can stay there as long as you want, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks so much for coming on, Kirk. It's, it's been a pleasure as well. So um, are you active on social media too, or where, where can people find more um, obviously optionalpha.com or any place you, you would recommend people go to your podcast. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say we're, we're pretty much, uh, everywhere at option alpha. So all the major social media platforms, but you can always reach out to me, just uh, shoot me an email through the contact page and say hi, or, you know, tweet at us on Twitter or Facebook, wherever you want to, uh, we're pretty active everywhere. Awesome. Good stuff. Well, it's been such a pleasure to chat with you as well, just because my, my background, I intended to get into, or I went to study to become a, a teacher actually. Nice. And you understand. So I understand. Yeah. Just like, and, and what I saw was just that personally, just thinking like going the school system, just it, I wanted to find something that I could teach my own curriculum. Right. And, and with the internet being that, that middleman now that you don't need to necessarily get into the school boards or the universities, it it's a world of options. I mean, no pun intended, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. so it's just like, it's, it's yeah. inspiring to talk to people like you and, and to, to see what you've been doing. So just want to thank you again, Kirk, for coming on. Yeah, I appreciate it very much. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. So last piece of advice, though, any any walk away uh, quote or uh, recommendation for the listeners? You know, I, I think the best thing to understand with the world of investing, the way that I see it is that nothing is a free lunch. You always give up or get something in exchange for something else. And so yeah. if you can always drill down into really understanding what you're getting or what you're giving up, you know, to make some sort of trade-off in trades, I think you'll be better served in doing that. So try to really understand, you know, how the other side works. Uh, and I think it will give you a lot of clarity. Most definitely. Well, thanks again, Kirk. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, man. And that is our show, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening. You can find this podcast at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Radio Public, and at anchor.fm slash highly invested. Kirk is extremely knowledgeable and has so much experience and has seen a lot. So I hope that perspective helps give you a better idea of what you might get into with investing. And of course, if you want to learn about derivatives and the options market, visit optionalpha.com and you'll be blown away. You might spend a whole entire day there and uh, have a new interest. And if you got some value out of this episode, please share it with any friends or like-minded individuals. I just want to spread the financial literacy around and make everyone better investors. And that was our show. If you can leave a review or rating, it would be wonderful to know who's listening. And I just want to say thank you again. This is your host, Jordan Highly signing off. Stay highly invested in yourselves, everybody. Till next time.